Hi there, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Syscast, the show where we talk Linux, open source, and pretty much anything else that interests me. Um, it's been a while, so it's good to be back, sort of. Um, and what better way to kick off a new season um, than having a chat with one of my best friends, Jan Somers. How are you, buddy? Hi, I'm doing great. Uh, it's nice to do something else. Uh, it's supposed to be something that could be a new hobby. I don't know. Let's see how this goes. Well, the reason I wanted uh, to get you on is I have been struggling a bit lately with everything that is hardware related. Um, I fell into a rabbit hole trying to uh, come up with a proper set of servers that I could hire or purchase for Odir, the monitoring service. Um, I was looking for servers that had a lot of CPUs. I didn't need the memory or the disk space, just a lot of CPUs and CPU cores. And then you fall into the rabbit hole of should you go Intel or AMD and hey, suddenly ARM or ARM has become interesting as well. Um, and that's a deep rabbit hole because there are so many acronyms and technologies and well, shit just got real, as they say. Um, and I totally got lost. So what better thing to do than ask you about all of the things that I do not understand? Um, so I hope you're ready because I have a lot of questions. I'll try to explain the best as I can. So I'm, I'm no expert in, in, in no way, but I'll, I'll try. <laughs> okay. Um, see, one of the first things that you notice is Intel sort of dominates the server market. Every expensive server that you can buy nowadays probably has an Intel CPU in it. Why is that? Why is Intel, instead of AMD or instead of ARM, why are they suddenly the de facto default that we should look into? Um, well, Intel is actually the founding father of the uh, instruction set that's used in the modern computer uh, that's running your Windows and, and, and current your Apple laptop and stuff like that. Um, but due to some weird plot twists in history, uh, they needed a second source for uh, supplying their chips to IBM in the days when the computers were uh, uh, still well, uh, becoming popular and, and, and rising to popularity. Um, so they, they actually licensed to uh, other parties like AMD, Cyrex, and, and other companies that unfortunately cease to exist. Only AMD is uh, currently still in the market for some uh, high-powered chips. But that put Intel in, at an advantage because they only licensed the, the tech, but not the prints of the entire chips themselves. So it's always been a neck and neck race between Intel and AMD. But they, well, Intel, when I refer to they, have a very good marketing department. So if you can market your chips very good and they're high performance and they outperform your competitor, well, that gets you a market advantage. Uh, look at Microsoft. Um, they just uh, wiggled their way around the market as well. Um, and that's a pretty much a story of, of, of war between AMD and Intel the last couple of decades. Um, there have been a few twists where AMD overtook Intel for a couple of years, uh, but then Intel beat back. And that's about uh, the time period we're in right now, where Intel was the king and dominant and the one and only king on the hill uh, in, in, in size of performance in the data center, laptop, desktop, they were everywhere. But then AMD researched from uh, six, seven years of being mediocre or just so-so at best uh, at, at desktop and, and laptop CPUs. And then they fought back with a completely new architecture named Zen. And they have been at Intel's throat as of now. Um, and, and currently, they, they have overtaken them and by quite the margin. Um, 
And as of CES, it's the Consumer Electronics Show, which just uh, happened a few days ago in Las Vegas. Um, They have launched new laptop chips and they have now beaten Intel on each and every front. The data center, more cores, less price, better performance. Desktop, same thing, more cores, more performance. And laptops as well, because uh, they're just using the new design, a new smaller process. Um, and, and, and that's pretty exciting to follow. It is indeed. So if, if I can just go back a step, you mentioned that Intel, um, sort of created AMD by accident then because they just couldn't keep up with production or, or how, how does that happen? How do you create your own competitor? Well, um, they they were forced to create their own competitor or their their worst enemy, uh, to say so, because um, when they wanted to li- uh, sell their chips to uh, vendors like IBM for uh, the upcoming computers, uh, they were not satisfied uh, that Intel could suffice in the production of enough chips to supply their demand, because back then manufacturing chips was a bit flaky. The yields weren't all so good, because every uh, in the, um, that's how to say it. Uh, every uh, production plant was slightly different. They weren't a carbon copy, and everything was a bit off uh, on some production lines, which yielded in bad or no chips. So IBM, um, for example, they demanded to have a second source, uh, another company who could. Um, provide them with exactly the same chips just so if one of the the fabs or or, or factories of intel blew up or didn't produce any chips that they were guaranteed that they could deliver their personal computers to customers so they were forced to do that so they went into uh, with a bit of history they ended up licensing their technology to uh, amd which gave them the keys of the kingdom and the, the the ability to create um well x86 compatible cpus so you can just uh, install your software on either intel or amd platform so that's how that happened okay i'm already hearing a couple of acronyms that we really need to dive into soon um you, you mentioned that uh, intel they they so so amd has some kind of license from intel that allows them to produce a certain chipset does that mean that if amd would suddenly become the new default on servers Basically, Intel also benefits because of all the licensing involved, and so they can't really lose this game. Uh, well, that, that's quite how you can put it. It's, it's uh, as they say, a gentleman's agreement that they um, lend their new technologies and research and, and additions to the x86 uh, instruction set that they license it to each other without any royalties. Uh, a really good example of that would be uh, one of the first times that AMD overtook Intel uh, don't ask me what year it is, but it's it's with the Athlon uh, 64 CPUs, the first 64-bit CPUs. Um, Intel um, was working on a similar project with their Itanium line, uh, which ended up to be bust because they were too complex and they were, were really marketed at uh, servers and, and high uh, available compute. Uh, but that actually flopped because of the high cost and the complexity. But AMD actually uh, extended the current x86 instruction set um, and added uh, 64-bit instructions and, and, and capability to it without um, sacrificing backwards compi- compatibility with 32-bit because a lot of software was back then or exclusively 32-bit because it's a chicken-egg thing. So and that because of that, um, it's, it's called the AMD 64 
um, instruction set, which is appended to the X86. And because of the gentleman's agreement, uh, Intel could also look into these specs and they share those uh, IP. Uh, so they can't really end up losing the game unless they just go bankrupt. So technology-wise, they will always innovate um, and try to outsmart each other in other ways. But in pure, the instruction sets, they have to be compatible. Otherwise, you'll just get a divide in the market. Uh, smart folks. So they basically allowed AMD to exist. AMD then got better and improved chipset and they gave it back to Intel. And that's the quid pro quo kind of deal where they give some, they take some and everybody's happy. Yeah, pretty much it. Um, if you use uh, some software like CPU ID or other uh, software like that, you can actually um, check on the instruction sets that are supported by your uh, CPU, um, like uh, SSE, SSE 1, 2, 3, 4, etc. Those are instruction sets created by Intel, but you can also find them in various AMD chips from the same era and up until now. Uh, so if they create one extra instruction set to do hardware acceleration on XYZ, it's like video encoding and, 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 and compression and, and other crazy uh, math things that I don't know <laughs> half a thing about, um, the other party will have it as well. It's it's just um, bilateral. Okay, cool. So you mentioned one of the first acronyms that um, I've seen before because it's all over the Linux packages every time you install it. Um, you mentioned x86. What is that and what are the alternatives? Uh, x86, um, it's, it's just something that Intel came up. It's, it's, it's just instructions to fetch from memory, decode the instruction, execute it and write it back to memory or uh, a way to add up uh, certain numbers. It's just, it's, it's, it's like, um, it's a bit of like a framework like in PHP or something like that. It's, it's, it's not really defined as much what it is it's just how it's supposed to be built and what's the idea behind it so it i, I can look at it as is is a collection of possible instructions that a cpu can execute yeah and that's a total package of uh, in order to run everything because those cpus are built to um, fetch uh, instructions from memory and write it, write it back because everything can't be done on the same chip. So they're, they're, they're architected around that principle uh, in order to be able to do more. Okay. So at the very beginning, um, you mentioned that AMD at the Consumer Electronics Show, they, they announced new um, CPUs for well, desktop, laptop, servers. Um, you mentioned that they they became smaller. Uh, I think you're you're referring to the nanometer process at that point. Yeah, um, the fabrication process, the the node, uh, the amount of nanometers. Uh, that's that's all the same. Uh, that's that's just um, well, the, the current um, notification of, of of nanometers is more of a marketing term. Uh, I'll get into that somewhat later, but um, it's it d- defines how small each of the features of each individual transistor are uh, on the, on the chip itself. So the smaller uh, every part of the transistor can be, the more you can cram into the same or smaller size for the same power budget, or if you have the same uh, footprint of, of your chip in total, you can cram more transistors in there. So more logic, uh, more features or, or place for more instructions uh, or, or com- more complex instructions, more cache. You can do a lot with that. So it can, can bo- go both ways. Either you go 
with a more energy efficient process. So your transistors are optimized for uh, energy efficiency or for high performance uh, compute. So it depends on the structure size and how you um, manufacture them, that it either goes to a, a efficient process or a high power uh, feature size. If I were to look at, say, 10 CPUs lined up next to each other, is it safe to say that if it has a smaller production size, so less nanometers, it's by definition better than something with a bigger nanometer? Or does is, is not that simple to compare? Uh, as a rule of thumb, I would say yes. Um, if it's a smaller feature size uh, chip, so it's if the... the so-called nanometers are smaller or as they advertise it's it's baked on a smaller process then it would generally have more transistors and more logic in it and it would uh, perform better than the other part because it just has more hardware to do the same thing or do it better than that it's not always the case but most in, in most general cases yes okay so in simple terms if the production set or the production process so the nanometers are smaller, you can basically cram more into the same size and it becomes more faster, more efficient, more energy efficient, uh, etc. Yeah, that's exactly uh, the, the thing. Okay. Um, like I mentioned, uh, AMD have, has overtook Intel for a few times. And the exciting thing for us hardware enthusiasts um, actually happened with the Zen architecture of AMD. And they're currently on their second revision of, of that architecture. And later this year, they're going to do Zen 3, which is the third revision of that, which is going to be a big improvement on its own. But... The, the the great thing about that is that AMD got an opening to be uh, this dominant in the market because of uh, Intel's somewhat larger ambitions than uh, was feasible at that time. Uh, the the feature size or the the the, the, the process the process that they they, they bake their chips on they were previously on the fourteen nanometer process. But Intel um, wanted to go from 14 to 10 nanometers, which doesn't seem like a very big jump. Usually they do a, uh, a jump from 14 to uh, 12 or 11 or something like that. But going to 10 is, is very ambitious. Um, and they really had a lot of trouble getting it up to speed, running, uh, having greater yields uh, or the same yields as their current mature process. Um, which resulted in delays after delays after delays. Um, a lot of uh, uh, Apple fans, I think, uh, especially for the laptops, have been um, bashing uh, Apple for, for the fact that their laptops haven't gotten faster and faster. But that's mostly due to Intel not being able to keep up with their roadmap because uh, as chip designs go and laptop designs go and roadmaps for any big enterprise company, they all, all uh, plan like five or, or more years ahead. And if those roadmaps and plannings don't go ahead because one company or one uh, chain in the link uh, doesn't come up to its part, then you have big troubles. So Intel is, is really in, in a pickle because they're scrambling to um, bring out more products with more cores since the competition AMD is bringing out so many chips with so much more cores for a very small price compared to what Intel's asking. And it, it's really putting them in a bind. Okay. So because Intel tried to skip a generation, I guess, by going 14 to 10, that failed, and that gave AMD the breathing room to uh, 
take it up a notch and then try to dominate that market. So why? Okay, I'm, I'm now going to show you how very little I know of hardware. Um, Intel is, um, from what I can tell, it, it has really good CPUs. That's probably why all servers have them. If AMD now is suddenly a lot better and they apparently use the same chipset, can I just yank out my Intel CPUs and put in the same an AMD CPU in the same motherboard? Or is there more to it than that? Um, if you were in the 90s, you might have could have done that because they say shared the same socket, so the, the, the actual physical connection between the pins on your chip and the main board. But since um, I know 95, 96, they actually began to make their own designs, their own sockets, so their own shapes and, and, and pin layouts. And they, they drifted apart from that. So they have their own way of uh, configuring their chips and doing their pin layouts. And they have their own chipsets and their own motherboard. So unfortunately for the consumer, you can't just drop in and replace an Intel chip with an AMD uh, chip. You'll unfortunately have to change your main board as well. So if you want to change, that's going to be pricey because these main boards uh, cost about 100 to 300 or 400 euros, uh, depending on uh, the, the the amount of bling and RGB lights yeah. you want on these these days. So I was thinking about it, the the potential future here. If um, if AMD really is um, doing this great and Intel is a bit lacking in that case. Um, it isn't that easy to completely switch either a server farm or um, the, 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 I'm imagining if you're a cloud provider and you're selling hardware, it might not be that easy to suddenly start selling the AMD CPUs because it requires, as you say, a new motherboard, which might have implications for the memory slots that you have, the the disks you can attach, the, the RAID controllers you can use, uh, attach to that motherboard. So the entire chain gets thrown upside down if you just want to swap out the CPU? Uh, basically, that's it, yeah. Um, but AMD has been uh, having a few generations of uh, the new server chips with Zen architecture already out. Um, so they were trying to warm up the market uh, for their re-entry to the server market because Intel was absolutely dominant there. Um, but yeah, unfortunately for, for a lot of cloud vendors and, and, and IT integrators, uh, which, which use Intel in their data centers currently, um, they'll have to go through a lot of testing, QA validations in order to see, is this new platform up to spec? Are the drivers for all our virtualization stacks, uh, uh, are they okay? Are they stable? Uh, because every new hardware platform has their own kinks. Uh, every chipset has their own disadvantages. And you always have to have software to drive the, the link between your uh, software and the hardware between it. So, uh, But everything's been looking up uh, for them. It's, it's pr pretty promising. But um, I think a lot of companies uh, have been testing the waters with the previous generation and, and, and seeing what it does. Uh, but they're very enthusiastic about the new generation, the current Rome uh, Epic uh, server chips. Uh, Intel has their Xeons, uh, Xeons um, and AMD has their Epics. Uh, it's just like the ring of it more, but hey, that's me. Um, but they, they, they really offer a lot of bang for their buck because the Epic CPUs, they have like 64 physical cores, uh, 128 uh, threads, and a buttload of cash in order to support these chips with enough uh, data to keep them busy uh, pretty much 100% of the time, which makes it 
possible for people who are new now using two Xeon CPUs in one hypervisor, for example, to get enough cores for, for a maximum uh, distribution between memory, CPU, cost, etc., that they can now do it with a single socket Epic CPU, which drives the cost down considerably, um, which really opened up the market to whole new ideas. So you can either go way beyond what Intel now has with two socket CPUs, or uh, you can have uh, the same thing with one uh, CPU uh, on the Epic side, or you can have two Epic 64 core uh, CPUs, which is a buttload of threads, cache, etc. So depending on what you want, build a supercomputer, go to Mars, <laughs> you can go to town in, in, in the AMD shopping uh, department if you want. Okay, so let's let's deep dive into that bit, um, if you if you will. Um, you mentioned um, 64 physical cores on a single CPU, which would give you double the amount of threads. Am, am I right in to assume that the, the concept of hyper-threading is not only an Intel thing, but it applies to AMD as well? Yeah, uh, Intel actually marketed uh, what uh, SMT is, single, uh, simultaneous multi-thread, I presume that's the acronym for it. Um, but um, the, the, the thing isn't new, just, Intel just marketed it as, as hyper-threading. It's just a fancy name for, for SMT, which is an industry-wide thing. Uh, AMD just calls it M- SMT as well. SMT uh, is, is just uh, the hyper-threading non-branded version, which AMD uses as well. So if you say multi-thread uh, or, or, or X amount of threads, that's that's the hyper-threading vari- uh, variety of, of what Intel would call it. Okay, so even AM- so, if, if I purchase an AMD CPU, I can still see more th- threads or more cores in my operating system that my, that my server physically has. Um, that applies to both Intel and AMD. Okay. Yeah, your Linux box will uh, light up like a Christmas tree with all those threads. The same for Intel as AMD. Okay. Um, now we're talking about cores. So a CPU has X amounts of cores. Um, usually the rule of thumb is if you have more cores, the clock speed of each core goes down. I don't know why that is, but that seems to be the rule of thumb. Um, but I somehow, I, I can remember if I go back a decade or so in, in the hardware uh, realm, um, there have been Intel CPUs that were clocked at 2.4 gigahertz, which were amazingly fast. And then you had AMD CPUs, which were clocked at 4 gigahertz, so almost twice as fast, um, which seemed to be just as fast. What's what's the deal here with um, with clock uh, with with core counts versus clock speeds? Does it even matter nowadays? Uh, it's always a delicate balance uh, between a lot of things because uh, one thing you didn't mention, which is very important in this this uh, in, in, in scoping this out, is is the the pipeline that they're using. Uh, the pipeline is the different stages that your instruction set can go through, um, and the difference between the two point four Intel CPU and the four gigahertz AMD CPU uh, at that time uh, was actually the, the pipeline design which AMD used. Intel went for a very elaborate and long uh, extensive pipeline, which they still do use uh, and improved upon. And AMD uh, opted into the, let's go for a lot of cores and a lot of uh, megahertz or gigahertz, but with a very short and simple pipeline. Um, that ended up hurting their performance because the market was going another way uh, and it just didn't work out. On paper, it was a very good design. But the shorter pipeline, which was more simplistic, uh, just cost more um, steps to do the same instructions uh, at a faster pace. So that's how they could keep up somewhat, but they fell behind very quickly. 
comparing to a slower uh, Intel part, uh, which had a more elaborate and complex uh, pipeline. So that's a bit that's a bit of a way to 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 draw a, a comparisons between those two and and how those are all interlinked because clock speed isn't everything it's also your design it's your branch predictor to see how and when and what instruction is going to go where and how to optimize uh, using all the uh, parts of your CPU to keep them busy at the max how big are your caches the level 1 2 and 3 caches etc it's it's a very complex uh, thing to balance between all these things in order to make a great design and also innovating upon new technologies and not just refining what you have okay so you mentioned that uh, AMD took the shorter pipelines if if i'm a novice, I would say shorter pipelines sound more interesting than long pipelines. What, what am I missing here in that view? Um, well, it was a bit of a gamble because AMD also came back from uh, using the shorter pipelines and went to the more complex and elaborate uh, pipelining system with uh, lots of branch predicting and uh, improving their cache hierarchy, etc. So they, they, they gambled, but they gambled wrong. Like I said before, um, those chip designs, they are, they are um, designed and, 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 and thought of four or five years in advance. Uh, and well, you have to guess what the future is going to. So, w- what are people going to need? What is the data center going to do? Um, how's virtualization going to end up? Uh, what are the needs? Uh, is everything going to VDI? Uh, is everything going to uh, microservices? Uh, what which they thought was going to be the thing? So, small uh, containers with, with 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 small threads, with small executions, which had to be fast and snappy, or is it one big monolithic VM or a computer? It's it's very hard to look into the future and see. Aha, this is what we need. They just gambled and and gambled wrong, and then now they're uh, just doing different designs, which took them a lot of time uh, in order to uh, draw up execute test and bring out and that's why the intel has been king of the hill for so long and had a sort of monopoly asking monstrous prices for uh, cpus um but they're coming back from that because amd is hurting them a lot on the price front and performance front so they have to cut back on prices which is good for the consumer yeah that's true so the the pipelines that you mentioned um if i'm trying to understand i think what a pipeline means in this case so if there's an instruction an instruction can be i think add one plus one um, there are probably a couple of ways to do that you can have a dedicated instruction set to do a a addition of two numbers or you can um, go a very uh, weird way where you first you subtract some numbers and then you multiply it to get the same result so is is the pipeline something that I can look at as if there's a dedicated instruction to do some kind of operation, then it's okay to have a short pipeline because you only have one instruction. But if it's a complex um, operation that you want to do in your CPU, the longer pipeline wins because, see, I'm, I'm totally lost. What the hell is a pipeline in this case? Um, and how do those instructions come into it? Um, a pipeline, as far as I can uh, explain it, um, I hope it will make, make too many mistakes, but um, the general gist of it is that your CPU has a lot of different specialized uh, calculation parts or, or cores or pieces of hardware. 
And a pipeline, as far as I say, understand it, is that you can string a lot of these parts together in, in a consecutive order in order to execute one instruction. So if you have two or three simple units stringed together, which are multi-purpose, and you execute a thing, uh, a complex instruction might have might pass one or two or three times uh, through that pipeline to refine uh, or execute the the entire command. But if you have a very complex pipeline and you have very uh, a lot of small, uh, very high, highly purposed uh, instruction cores, uh, you can. Uh, actually end up running the command or, or the instruction in, in the pipeline once and be done with it. So you can end up with a lot of efficiency gains uh, doing it in a long pipeline, but it also draws more power. It, it, it uses a lot more uh, silicon and, 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 and transistor space on your chip. So it's a delicate balance on how, how large are you going to do your pipeline. And that's why, uh, just to jump onto another thing, ASICs are so uh, efficient at what they do because they have a pipeline only and only for that, what they are have, what they have to do, mine bitcoins or uh, calculate something or uh, encode video if they're in a video recorder, etc. So that's basically what a pipeline does. It's, it's, an, it's, a, it's stringing together a lot of specialized parts in order to try to execute things all in once, only once, and if it's not possible, they might have to go through the pipeline a few times. Okay, so the reason that perhaps an Intel and an AMD, so going back 10 years again, where AMD was like two times faster in clock speeds, but could sometimes perform worse on a desktop or a server, it's basically because one instruction set on Intel cannot really be compared to one instruction set on AMD, because maybe you need two or three times so to run through that pipeline in order to get the same results. So basically you, you lose a clock tick um, at every time you want to make a operation on your CPU. Yeah, that, that's basically it. Uh, the only thing is that the instructions are exactly the same. It's just how they they execute it behind the curtain because uh, the, the, they speak the same language. But their, their their household or their 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 uh, uh, the, the the way they do it internally just differs slightly, and and that indeed could cost them uh, a few clock ticks in order to do the same thing, which is what they call IPC, so instructions per clock, uh, which is now the current uh, measurement for 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 efficiency, that and 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 performance per watt power they consume. So uh, that that's exactly that. Okay, so in dev terms, you're talking. To the same API, basically your instruction sets, but that API does the processing in an entirely different way, making one CPU sometimes more efficient than the other. Okay, that makes sense. Um, now, we've been talking about Intel and AMD. Um, why is there no third CPU provider with a different set of acronyms that is x86 compatible? Why do we only seem to have two major CPU providers in the world? Why is there no third or fourth or whatever? In the past, there were some uh, other providers which unfortunately went bankrupt or uh, diverted their resources into other markets. Uh, I mentioned Cyrex before. Uh, those were very popular uh, CPUs uh, back in the day of the Pentium, etc. They were drop-in replacements for uh, their chips and were considerably cheaper but weren't always uh, clock for clock uh, more efficient or, or more powerful, but they were a lot cheaper. So for, for the hobbyists and, and the builders, that was okay. But as I mentioned, uh, most of these uh, vendors uh, or, or, or 
brands went out of uh, business uh, due to fierce competition between the so, uh, superiorly um, uh, Intel and the vastly bigger competitor AMD because AMD wasn't that small at that time. Uh, or they diverted their resources into other niche uh, businesses. So that's why we don't have uh, currently any other competitors because Intel uh, does not need to do the second source uh, agreement with other partners anymore because there are two parties on the market and uh, they're not going to repeat the same... Uh, um, they're they're going to repeat history again by, by licensing x86 to other parties. Um, so... That's pretty much it, because otherwise, if they have another party on the market uh, that can compete with them, uh, their market share would uh, decline because they have three parties competing or four parties competing. So uh, they're pretty comfy at where they are, so they don't have any need of licensing x86. Yeah, the luxury position of having just two players right now doesn't look like we'll be having a third x86 compatible player anytime soon. No, uh, I don't see it but happening anytime soon or ever for that matter because uh, there's some other fronts uh, like RISC-V and a uh, ARM or ARM, if, if you want to name it, uh, that are also playing on the same field or, or trying to get in the same field and vice versa with, with Intel and AMD trying to get in the mobile and the, the, the low power market. So it's... it's, it's um, it's a mix of, of, of different things, but um, as far as the, the current uh, consumer market go for laptops and, and for desktops, since AMD is, is, is back at the game and, and have some uh, really good products as well as Intel, they're still good. They're just behind in the game. Don't get me wrong. Um, prices will go into a more favorable uh, way because Intel had a monopoly for so long because AMD had no counter answer to that. So as long as there are two parties which compete head-to-head, uh, that could be quite interesting um, on technical level and for pricing. Okay. Now, you already mentioned ARM. Um, so so let's, let's have a look at that if you can. Um, we have Intel versus AMD, which are both running the x86 instruction sets. Now, uh, the reason I got into it, this entire rabbit hole was because I wanted to find a server with a lot of cores. And once you start looking for a lot of cores, you also find ARM machines or ARM servers. What's the difference between ARM and the Intel and AMDs of the world? Um, ARM is, is, is a bit of a, uh, an oddball in this, this game because ARM is actually just a company licensing their intellectual, intellectual property for their instruction set. Um, and they just license it out to anyone who wants to buy it. So they develop uh, the designs as well for their cores uh, and other uh, integration uh, options, and they also uh, do consultancy to help you design your own chips. And if you are a big enough company, you can hire your own uh, set of designers and create your own mobile SOCs uh, in order to power your smartphone. So it's, it's, it's a very versatile thing because you have a blueprint and can improve upon it. Uh, just have to pay the license fee. So they don't manufacture their own physical chips. They just design uh, pipelines, instructions, etc. But they are of a completely different uh, order since there are, well, more than that. But currently x86 versus ARM, that is just to say, it's just a difference between um, the way their con instruction sets are, are built out of. 
So um, going back to x86, uh, that's what they call a CISC chip. It's complex instruction set computing. And ARM is uh, from the beginning built upon the RISC uh, instruction set, which is a reduced instruction set computing. Um, the difference between the two, um, viewing it from the point of ARM, is that uh, RISC is built in order to have a very few or as few as possible and as simple as possible instructions. And they also have the f- fixed length. So each instruction is always as, uh, X amount of bytes or bits long. This is totally different from what um, x86 does because their uh, instruction sets vary in length which makes it uh, very powerful because they can just make up whatever they want, a new instruction set. They don't have to look at the size of the instruction uh, set in bits because they can just um, throw it in their uh, decoder or in their branch predictor and just uh, divide it into micro operations, which end up to be risk instructions. So they, they, they convert CISC instructions to risk instructions and then push it through the pipeline in, in on their end. But the the major advantage of of what ARM has started is because of their uh, fixed instruction size. They can, in theory, have a lot easier to develop and less complex chip designs because you uh, don't have to uh, incorporate very complex designs in order to um, uh, read, decode, and distribute uh, these, these varying lengths of instructions. Uh, which makes it a lot easier to to uh, make these chips. So they can implement more features like uh, power efficiency modes. And in general, if, if your pipeline is much, uh, much um, more simple, uh, I, I think on a silicon level, you can also distribute a lot more uh, over, over your, your um, chip size in order to distribute heat dissipation, power, etc. Um, as it's, 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 it has a lot of advantages. So am I right to assume then that ARM has a potential good future for general purpose devices? So I'm thinking mobile devices, desktop machines, you name it. Um, but the x86 instruction set, it's being more specialized in the instructions that it has, would be more suited for very specialized tasks? Um, x86 has just evolved into uh, whatever the market needs. Um, it's, it will always uh, outshine in, 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 in multi-purposeness um, because they can do pretty much anything you can throw at it, uh, where other chips like ARM generally are, are only good at what, what they are built for. They're, they're going more general purpose and they're growing uh, towards each other what, what both can do. Um, but uh, it's it's pretty much a thing of the right tool for the right job because a lot of smartphones have ARM socks in there because they are energy efficient. Uh, They're designed only what the phone needs to do. And you can slap a lot of hardware onto it like uh, graphics cores in order to play your games like uh, Angry Birds and and whatnot. Um, So it depends on what you need. So uh, as far as I can see, um, there's still a divide in the, in the market uh, where x86 um, offers a lot of uh, flexibility and, and, and raw performance for people who are content creators and, 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 and high performance compute uh, because you could do pretty much anything with it. Uh, and ARM is very specialistic, but is also growing to the more general compute um, at the expense of power and complexity, of course. So do you think ARM has a future in the data center as servers on which we run 
either our code or our VMs? Um, or is that to is the instruction set too limited to make that a possibility? Uh, they can always add uh, instruction sets um, to the ARM license pool or the, 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 the capabilities of ARM. But as far as I can see, I, I think they, they're going to earn and, and, and have earned their place in the data center due to their uh, power efficiency because um, Amazon is also making their chips. They have their uh, second revision coming up um, and have instances running on it. But um, as far as I'm concerned, I think the, the, the pure economics of, of what ARM can offer, they have uh, relatively good or to great performance depending on the task you're going to run for a pretty l much lower power budget um, than, than, than their counterparts in x86. So if you see what the major costs are in data center is the power to just run your chips and your servers. And on the other hand, it's also the cooling of these chips. So if they are more efficient and they generate less heat and they just consume less power, uh, it also means that you have to invest less uh, power in, in, in order to cool these chips. So that's, that's pretty much a very large cost reduction for Amazon. So I think that's why they're also um, experimenting with these chips. That uh, and the flexibility that gives them in order to design a chip that only has the parts they need because the x86 chips, they have pretty much every bip and bop uh, you need in uh, server hardware or desktop hardware. But with ARM, you can go with, uh, I want a pipeline that only has the X, Y, Z, and I want to add a little bit of this and add a little bit of that uh, in order to make the thing you want it to do. So it's it's like I said a bit of uh, a bit of both uh, a thing about economics and uh, the best tool for the job. That's cool. So you you might trade a bit of performance for a substantial gain in power efficiency, and if your workload happens to be um, multi-threaded and would would benefit from having multiple cores, um, you can essentially run two servers instead of one and get less power usage, but perhaps more combined clock speed um, available from your ARM CPUs? Yeah, depends uh, what what you need. Uh, like you said, with Ordeer, you just need uh, a lot of cores. I, I don't think they need to be fast. Uh, they just need to do their thing. Uh, and if you can uh, do it with, with the ARM instances, uh, which are maybe less highly clocked, uh, but a lot cheaper to run, that might be uh, pure economics-wise a, a better fit for your business because you don't need those high-powered beasts um, in order to to run your app. So if you're going for a microservices or or a very small server that just needs to run of X Y Z, it's very small tasks. Uh, your home monitoring system, uh, you name it, um, doesn't have to cost as much as the others do. So you you mentioned ARM CPU, but that that in, in this, essentially that that thing doesn't exist. So ARM is just a licensing thing, and other manufacturers make the CPUs. So if you say there's an Intel CPU in a server, you know that it has been made by Intel, the company. But if it's an ARM CPU, you're actually just referring to the instruction set that a third-party silicon provider happens to have made a chip out of. Exactly. Um, a few of the, the most um, known producers of, of ARM chips or with the ARM instruction set are Apple uh, with their A-series uh, chips. They do uh, heavily customized versions of those uh, based upon the, the, the basic designs of what ARM provides them. 
And since recently, they also uh, designed their own graphics course. Um, you also have Qualcomm uh, creating their own uh, SOCs. Uh, and Samsung did it until recently, I think, but I think they abandoned it because it, it's it's really high cost business to be in to design your own chips, even if you license it and have most of the designs yourself, because you still have to compete with other businesses doing the same thing and also um, uh, putting their, their SOCs available to other vendors to make uh, phones out of so. Um, but but those those vendors uh, don't always use uh, the, the the ARM uh, license in order to build uh, mobile phone socks. Um, I think Qualcomm uh, is is the creator of the Snapdragon 8 CX. It's a really high powered uh, SoC built for laptops, and uh, that that's one thing that uh, Microsoft has demoed uh, recently in order to run their uh, Windows. Uh, tablet slash mobile platform, laptop platform on. So ARM is finding their way into the, the mobile segment, uh, but it's, it's a far way off uh, from the, the, the capabilities of what, what x86 can do, but it's getting pretty damn close to what it can do. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Microsoft is also experimenting with with the new mobile chips from from as Intel as AMD. So it's going to be a mixed market depending on what people want. Is it a thin and light with large battery uh, but yet uh, acceptable performance? You can go to ARM. Uh, if you want a high powered uh, tablet uh, with with uh, pretty decent uh, battery life, etc., you can go to an x86 chip. Um, so it, it depends, but but many uh, varieties of, of of ARM chips are made for uh, smartphones, as for the desktop, as for the data center. Uh, when we look at Amazon, for example, it's not getting any easier comparing CPUs online, is it? When you you, I, I'm already struggling with Intel versus AMD, but then there's ARM, which exists from multiple vendors that each can implement their own version of that ARM CPU. So. Uh, it's going to be uh, the only way, and this was to be expected, of course, the only way to know is a particular server fit for your purpose is to basically buy them all, benchmark them, and then throw the ones away that don't match what you need. That sounds like a lot of work. Uh, that's where the, the tech press uh, come in. And, and uh, that's that's also a news source that I follow uh, very vigilantly also on Twitter because most of the reporters have their own Twitter account and do some on-the-site reporting like on CES and many other dev- uh, developer or let's say um, keynote presentations from major vendors uh, like Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, etc. What are they up to? And then and, and they're reporting on it. So you can really get into the minutiae of things. And it's a great community online as well. If you uh, have questions or want to get into it, uh, it's pretty open. And there's a lot of interaction because if people have questions, you can actually add the, those people uh, like like a few days ago. Hey, can you ask this to uh, company YZ uh, about their new product on CES? And 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 that's how uh, really interesting debates uh, and and conversations happen. So, um, it, it since the internet happened uh, many many years ago, it's it's really easy if you know where to look um, and and have some time to read upon uh, read up on a few things to get a sense of what do I need and where do I get it. 
or just ask your friendly neighborhood ship uh, connoisseur or something like that. Yeah, but we don't all have a Jan at our disposal to ask questions. So uh, some have to trust the mainstream press. So h- how did you ever fall into this rabbit hole? How come you're my hardware guy? What what What, what is it that excites you about all the hardware that's going on right now? There has to be something that... Um, gets you passionate about all these things um well i i think it started um when i was quite little and i took apart my dad's uh alarm clock just to see what it did and how it worked because it's it's one of those digital ones with the, the red uh, segment led displays displaying the time and make the uh, nasty chirping noises when you had to wake up in the morning um and i was just utterly fascinated about how did this work? Because you, you have this analog clock thing, you can see the handle moving, you can see gears and stuff like that. But the digital uh, versus analog thing really captivated me. I, I don't know why, but it's just like, I wanted to know what's inside. So um, as, as anyone would do, I presume, <laughs> I, I took it apart. Um, and the challenge is always uh, to put it back together and in working order and have no spare bits in your hands afterwards. Um, it's a bit, a bit of a tricky venture because it, with that particular alarm clock, uh, it took me a few tries over a few days, so my dad wasn't very pleased, um, in order to get it functioning um, correctly. Uh, so that, that's that's how it started. Um, after that, uh, with the rise of the internet and I got my own computer, I, I found some forums about uh, CPUs uh, and overclocking them and, and just got really um, uh, enamored with, with, with the, the fact that you can uh, have an off-the-shelf product that, that is, 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 is um, set at a certain frequency or can do this, that you can push it even higher. And, okay, it wasn't safe, but it's a very interesting thing, uh, even though I didn't understand a thing about it. Um, just reading and, and, and just mucking about with computers over the years gave me a bit of an understanding how to do this. And as I mentioned, the the tech press uh, and, and, and Twitter, is specifically Twitter, um, there's some really good tech press and some uh, data miners uh, that, that, that dig up a lot of inter- information about new chips that are, that are about to come uh, and, and, and the fact that you can design these intricate uh, logic-based uh, things at such a minuscule scale and, and, and that's it, it's continuous race about getting those feature sizes smaller, getting those clocks up and, and, and just trying to get ahead of the competition in order to just inch out in front of them, just maximizing that performance. It, it's not quite tangible, but it's, it's, it's more of a, yeah, it's a feeling. It's like, I'm really, really happy to see when, 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 when new hardware is out. So it's, it's something that always excites me for not always a reason that I can define, but it, it just captivated me. But I, th- I think that's interesting because I I consider myself to be a reasonably well-informed IT guy. But the more I think about it, the more I re- realize that my my knowledge and my skill set is almost entirely in the software software realm. And there's an entire hardware realm outside of this that is if not more complex than the software side, that I know absolutely nothing about. And you seem to be drawn especially hard to the hardware side. Um, I, I think that's that's a cool niche to uh, to have knowledge in as well. 
Um, it, it also doesn't seem to stop evolving. It, it never stops. You have the arms race between Intel and AMD. Then ARM comes in. There are open source risks, uh, risk CPUs being built. Um, makes me wonder, though, where are we in like a year or five years or a decade out? Where do you see the CPU market in this case? And uh, where do you see us evolve? Um, that's a very tricky question because uh, any assumption I would make uh, is, is inherently wrong, but uh, I can dream though. Um, I think that the, the current way of chip design, with, uh, which AMD uh, pioneered a few years ago with their Zen architecture uh, and, and now the Zen 2 architecture, uh, is that they split up their logic and their compute into two different dies. So uh, up, up until a few years ago, every chip was made as a monolithic block of silicon, um, which uh, made it prone to uh, an error, which uh, yeah, you can bin the CPU if, if it's, it has a flaw. So it would render it utterly useless, which makes it very expensive. So you can only get X amount of CPUs out of a big circular die, which they uh, make the chips out of. Um, but if you make the, 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 the compute parts very small, like on the new process, the seven nanometers, um, then you can have a lot of seven nanometer parts. So, and if the, if you have a very good yields, that means that the, the defect de- density on, on these 300 millimeters of wafer that they use is very small. That, that means that the chance that such one of these small chips is defective and can't be sold or is a lower tier part is very low. So that that's very lucrative. On the other hand, um, it's less expensive to do your um, com- uh, your, your logic part or, or do the, the part that, had, that does the interaction with your uh, different buses to your cards and the memory and your USB, etc. If you make that on the current process, which is refined and cheap and has very good yields, then you can um, make those two on a separate assembly line and merge them together at the last part. So I think that is um, a part of technology that that Intel is also going to pursue because uh, they also announced it. Uh, they're going to call it Foveros, uh, but they're doing it slightly different. They're they're stacking. They're, they're going to stack uh, the different layers of the silicon on top of each other. So they're, they're planning to do the IO part and then the compute part on top of that. And then maybe a stack or two of memory on it. So system on a chip is going to become a whole different meaning. So I think, um, that is going to be the future going ahead, uh, stacking everything on top of each other because the time it needs the single to run from A to B is also going to be important. Uh, less latency is more performance. Um, and just makes up for for very cool chips uh, and, and, and just from a physics uh, point of view, how do you cool a stack of very hot running silicon that's stacked on it on top of each other? Uh, how do you do that? So um, except that, uh, which is going to go down the nanometer rabbit hole any further, uh, even further. Uh, we're currently at the uh, quotes seven nanometer process. Uh, we're going to go to, uh, I think six as a step between that, uh, five, three, uh, one and a half. And then beyond that, it's, 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 uh, not certain. Um, we have the new machines, um, that, that, that are, are being built, um, that, that's, that are going to, to make it possible that run an ultraviolet, 
uh, light uh, as a very, very, very uh, short wavelength in order to make those patterns on the wafers happen, um, which use up uh, a few kilowatts, uh, if not more, of power just in order to run that laser beam uh, in order to make the ultraviolet light happen. Uh, it, it, it's going to be some crazy physics involved, uh, which is a different uh, and interesting part of it. Um, but those two things, uh, just scaling it down, 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 and uh, trying to stack things up on top of each other or just using different chiplets, as they you say, in order to combine uh, awesome things, uh, which also makes it possible to have a chiplet for uh, purely graphics uh, and then for uh, level four cache or just your memory and your IO and your compute. So you can just make a chip a la carte uh, if you want to make a supercomputer, um, for example, which you which you can uh, just make whatever you want, tailor-purposed. Uh, so That's cool. So CPUs are going to become more modular. Uh, yeah, pretty much modular um, because it's it's just no longer doable and in to, to make monolithic mega dies because uh, if you shrink down your transistors even further and further and further and further if there is if there is a defect happening the defect will cover more and more transistors which those chips are built for um, somewhat redundancy if, if if a cluster of of, of uh, transistors is hit there's somewhat of a backup routing path or something else or parts of the chips they can turn off in order to sell it as a lower tier part but that's going to be an issue uh, and that's why they're probably also from an economic standpoint are going to do that but i do remember uh that i said uh those nanometers that they weren't all that it's more of a marketing term uh somewhat earlier in the podcast and before i uh forget to explain that um i'll, I'll just jump into that um the term nanometers is 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 the it was used up until a uh, year or eight ago i think um for the the, the actual feature size of a transistor so gate pitch etc but i'll, I'll do, don't go in that because that's 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 a whole other podcast on its own if it needs to be um but that that was the the actual physical manifestation of a transistor on its own um, that was and uh, um, when they used the planar transistor that's uh, like a crossbar um, happening where the electrons could flow uh, when the one of the bars is turned on or off but if you shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink such features on a chip um, you get a problem um, which is comparable to single to noise it's like in the audio world if you have too much uh, noise you can't make up if it's a one or a zero um, because there's not enough electrons flowing through or they're escaping or they're leaking out on another way because uh, it's there's no longer a, a big enough or defined enough path in order to combat that problem, um, they have developed what they call FinFET transistors. Uh, so the, the, the path uh, of the transistor where the electrons flow through, they have um, replaced that with a couple of fins which are standing in parallel next to each other going through the flow gate. Um, that's where you have more... Um, um, surface where the electrons uh, can, can flow through. Uh, which eliminates that process. Um, but when they use the, the, the planar uh, transistors, they could say, okay, my chip is X amount of nanometers big. But then they use the FinFETs, which were a completely different design. 
um, and also were a bit different in, in size and footprint. And that's where the, as they say, the marketing nanometers came into, into uh, play. Um, and, and everybody uh, who had a fabrication facility could say, we have X amount of nanometers. Uh, that's good to um, point out that the current AMD uh, chips are made at 7 nanometers and Intel were struggling with their 10 nanometers. Um, actually, in C, those two processes are producing pretty much the same size of transistor um, and, and are not that much different uh, as, 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 as they seem out just from the numbers point of view. So um, the 7 nanometers is pretty much the same as the 10 nanometer chips. Uh, they're just differently designed. Uh, they vary in their geometric 3D form from each other and the way they produce it uh, with different steps. Uh, but just pure marketing term. So don't let you uh, don't don't let marketing fool you that 7 nanometer chips are better than 10 nanometer chips. They're pretty much the same. It's just more of a PR rating, as they call it. Damn liars. They had me fooled because I almost started buying um, CPUs with less nanometers, thinking that they were better. So who is lying then in this case? If the 7 are actually pretty similar to the 10 nanometer uh, processes, which one is most correct? Is it more 7 or more 10 nanometers? Um, Well, I would say that the 10 nanometers is more accurate, even though it's wrong on its own, because nothing on on that uh, rating of nanometers really coincides with the the meaning of what it should be. So uh, in order to state that, so, but it's, 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 um, uh, it depends on how you view it. It's it's like uh, an, a lopsided box. Um, if you view it from one side, it's uh, smaller, uh, more narrow than the other uh, parts. So basically, everybody lies. That that's the point. Yeah, that, that that's pretty much it. It it just depends on your view because if you measure it from that angle, it's that n- amount of nanometers. If you offset it, uh, and if you view it from the other angle, it's X amount of nanometers. It's it's pretty much of a uh, marketing term. So lies. Mm, as long as your chips end up being good, it, that that that's the only thing that matters. The benchmarks will uh, tell you everything. Yeah, that's probably a more accurate result. Look at how fast things work. How much uh, thermal and power throughput you're, you're achieving. Basically, look at the end result instead of the marketing term that's on the box. Um, okay. I think that's a good place to wrap up. Um, I'll conclude that every CPU is a lie and that I have absolutely no idea what I should be buying, except that I'll need to benchmark a lot of servers to see which is best for my purpose. Um, okay, man. Thanks a lot for coming on the show and for uh, sharing your expertise. I may have... Uh, added more questions to my paper than, than I had resolved. Um, but I am a lot smarter now if I look at uh, my knowledge of CPUs. So I am very grateful for that. Um, I'm so assuming that we will have a lot of links to share in the show notes as well. So if people want to um, read up on things, uh, if they want to understand what the die or a yield or something is, um, you can find some links in the show notes that can uh, keep you busy for a couple of hours. Um, but Jan, if people would like to find you online and ask all my questions again to you, where can people find you? 
mostly on Twitter, I think that's the most uh, that's the best place you can reach me. If I'm not cor- uh, if I'm not mistaken, my uh, Twitter handle will be at uh, j underscore somers or somers. Uh, so uh, you can also put in the show notes if you want to. Uh, so. We will, so people can just <laughs> click on it and add and click on the follow button because they should rightfully do so. All right, man. Any any parting words from your end? Uh, no, uh, it was really nice to uh, talk about these things because I do that uh, on and off in 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 small bits with uh, co- colleagues, uh, with you guys. Uh, it's, it's just fun to talk about things that I'm passionate about. Um, although I'm not an expert, I just like to. Uh, Make people understand how these things work and 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 see how 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 I can can improve upon their knowledge. Uh, it's, it's just fun for me to do. It's uh, it's nice. Yeah, same here. Just a lot of fun to talk about geeky stuff like this. Um, if you, the listener, have uh, made it to the end, first of all, congratulations and welcome. Um, I'd love to hear feedback. This is the first episode in a pretty long time. Um, I took a really long break and I hope to get into this more regularly, Um, but I could use some feedback. Was this an episode that you liked? If not, what didn't you like? If there were bits that you did like, please let me know as well. Don't just give me all the negative feedback. That's not really motivating. Um, Let me know what works and what doesn't work. I'm trying to find a good uh, method of podcasting, a good um, format, length, content, you name it. but in order to get, nail that down, I need feedback. Um, I'll give all my contact details in the show notes as well. So you can f- reach me on Twitter or via email. Um, perhaps I should do some kind of anonymous contact box so you can just troll me. Um, but I need feedback. So please do let me know, uh, and Jan as well, what you thought of this show and what you would like to see more of. Um, with that said, I'll talk to you next time. Goodbye.